Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There are tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another area of Preset Ministries Canada, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Hello, everyone. Mark Sheldrake back again with you through Unlocking the Truth podcast, episode number five, working through 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The letter takes a turn this week, folks. We have moved from encouragement, from exhortation, from looking back on the beauty of what God has done through the power of the gospel message in the life of the church, and we are moving into instruction, how to live in light of the times that they are living in. I'm hoping that through this week's lesson, this week's discussion, this week's podcast, that this would be an opportunity for great challenge, great understanding. But I've got to tell you, moving in to this week's episode, if you do not remember the top red flags that were mentioned in week one, we've got a couple of them right here in this week's episode. So, Stay tuned. Can't wait. Let's pray. Let's dig in. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have given us uh, through uh, our week to be challenged by your word, to, to see again that your word is truth. Father, uh, we so desperately need truth in the midst of a culture and a generation that creates its own truth. Father, I pray that as this episode hits the airwaves, as it hits the internet, as it hits the ears of the people who are listening, that they would see that this is truth from your scriptures. That, Father, you are speaking through the very words of your book. Father, guide us through the text, even through some of those difficult things that we're going to cover. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week we're looking at four things that will challenge us in the way we walk. So let's dig in. And uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how to you ought to walk and please God. Just as you actually do walk, excel still more. So pause for a minute and 
sit here and, and think about verse 1. Uh, Paul instructed them, uh, gave them the gospel. They were challenged by the gospel. They were encouraged and convicted by the gospel. They went out and were living uh, out the gospel. Everywhere their faith, everywhere they went, their faith went with them. Uh, they were um, exemplary followers of Jesus Christ. And living out the Great Commission, taking the gospel and impacting more people with the truth. And Paul says, excel still more. There's, there's some things that you can, you can do well. You can be even greater examples in your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, here's where we're going to go. So uh, for you know what commandments, verse 2, what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So you know, you, you understand them, you, you get them, you have them, you're walking in them already, but here, here's some things that we can excel in in the midst of the culture that you live in. And so here's the first one that talks about, it says, for this is the will of God, it's your sanctification. All right, so first and foremost, let's just pause and, and think through the word sanctification. The word sanctification is to set apart, is to, um, you know, make clean. And so here we go with this idea of, look, the process that you are working through as a believer is that once the gospel has transformed your life, there's a work to do where you still need to remove things that are of the earthly life and get rid of them and become more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. This is the process of sanctification. It is the setting apart for the purpose of holiness. And so the first kind of walk that he's telling us, this first thing that we want to look at is that we should be walking in holiness. We should be walking in the light of the glory of God. We should be living a life that brings honor and glory to him. In the case of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's going to address one certain area of life that becomes a vital part of the Christian's life, especially in light of what's happening in the culture in Thessalonica. And that all comes around sexual immorality. And so here you have him say that uh, it's the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So the culture in Thessalonica was a culture that did not hold uh, sexual things in, you know, any type of holiness. It was rampant in the culture. Um, just doing what you please, taking advantage of people in the realm of the sexual world, uh, things in relationship to the serving of gods and false idols that all related around uh, sexual acts. And so what Paul is challenging these new believers with, these new Christians, is to become sexually pure and not be sexually immoral and therefore still be like the culture that you live in. 
the, the idea here that um, some scholars uh, discuss and point out is that the reference to this is within the marriage home, all right? So abstain from sexual immorality. That means within your marriage, within your, um, your relationship, that you keep things pure, that you follow through the, um, the processes of uh, being pure in your marriage. So I want to look at a couple of cross-references that go back to pointing through the importance of sanctification. So I want to start at Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Exodus 20, uh, 14, and listen to how this begins to play out in the setting apart uh, concerning these things. And so he says in Exodus 20, verse 14, the command is that you should not commit adultery. So uh, being sexually pure would be an idea of not committing adultery or cheating on your uh, spouse. Uh, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus uh, claims that even if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you have committed adultery. And so it's even being pure with just your sight and then into your thoughts. Uh, if you ever have the opportunity, I would challenge you to look through uh, our website and look for the book. It's a 40-minute Bible study called How to Make Choices You Won't Regret. And it is the following through of the life of David with Bathsheba. And if you were to pause and think about the life of David and Bathsheba, where did his um, going wrong happen? It didn't happen at the moment that he laid in the same bed as Bathsheba and got her pregnant. It was the moment that he saw her bathing on the roof and lusted after her and allowed her allowed his own personal uh, sexual desires to control his body, overtake him, and then committing the act. It started with the eyes. And so Job, in his uh, book, he claims that he will make a covenant with his eyes not to uh, look or lust after uh, these things. So... Um, First and foremost, don't commit adultery. That, that's number one in the process of sanctification. Uh, Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 20, tells us this. Okay, so he says in verse 19, Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols and from fornication, and from what is strangled from the blood. This fornication can align with sexual immorality. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 13. And so if you, we won't have to go through many of these. I mean, I have like 15 cross-references, but I'm not going to go through them all because uh, pretty soon you're going to get the point and you're going to see what the call is. All right, so Romans 13, 13, uh, it says to us, Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing in drunkenness, 
not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Verse 14, it says, the opposite of that is to put on Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh in regards to its lusts. All right, so let me, let me give you one more. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 15 to 18. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Do you not know that one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. So all of these verses, they keep pointing us to the very fact that we have to abstain from sexual immorality. We, we should be pure in our bodies. We should be honorable in our relationships to our spouses. Uh, these are the things that have been talked about for, for years and years and years, you know. Uh, abstain from uh, sexual intercourse until you are married. Uh, what, you know, a member as a youth pastor talking about, you know, what are the things that are okay and are not okay when you're in the world of dating? Well, the most important thing is to flee from things of the desires of our own lusts, the things that we look at and the things that turn from our looks into our actions and then the things that affect the entire uh, world. All right, so here, here's another part of this is that because we're talking about what, it's, what we are to do as believers inside the body of Christ. As believers, these are the things that we should do. It's very important that we should in no way, manner, shape, or form be comparable to what we see in the world. Okay, the world is filled with sexual immorality. The entire world bases not only their marketing, but bases everything on the lust of the eyes. All right, just look at the way that if you watch certain things on television, the way that uh, women dress that draw men into these, um, these lustful actions. Uh, pornography industry in, in the world is a massive industry. Uh, there are tons and tons of different websites that people can be drawn to to uh, deal with the lusts of the flesh. We're called as believers to abstain from those things. Uh, I'm going to give you right now and uh, three ways to maintain sexual morality in the life of a believer. All right, so if we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, he's going to tell us in verse 4 that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So the first thing is that the believer uh, should control their body. Their body should not control the believer. And so I want to look at Romans chapter uh, 7, verse 18. 
So Romans 7, 18 uh, is going to uh, start to address this for us, okay? So he says here, For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing is not good. So we are creatures who are created in sin. We were born into sin, and therefore our tendency will always be to draw to sin. That's why it is so hard. The, the one thing about the labor of love that Paul talks about in chapter 1 is that the labor of love is that when we're working towards obedience in Jesus Christ, we're being transformed, we're being sanctified by the truth of God's word, it's hard work. It's hard work to beat back the flesh and be children of God and not fall into the, the depths of sexual immorality, for example. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. He says, For those who are according to the flesh, they set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set uh, the things on the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on flesh is hostile toward God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Down in verse 23. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, uh, which is the redemption of our body. So throughout our life, we, we're called to live in the Spirit. We're called to live moral lives where we control the body. The body does not control us. But this process of sanctification is a lot of work. It's a painful work. Just when we think that we have, you know, grabbed hold, we've, we've conquered that sin that uh, we're dealing with, that there's that temptation, that desire to fall back into that. And so that's why as we look through the scriptures, there's all of these calls to be alert, to be ready, to be paying attention, because we need to be aware, like we looked at last week, at how the devil works. How does the devil tempt? The devil tempts to our weaknesses. If sexual things are our weaknesses, pay more attention. Be more aware of what's around you. Put a covenant over your eyes. Listen, if you have struggles with sexual things, put blockers on your internet. Put blockers on your phone. Make people accountable to you that you can be able to, to conquer these things. The reality is it's impossible to conquer these things on your own. Accountability is the best way. So don't let your body control you. You need to kill the flesh. All right, that's the process of sanctification. The more and more you study and learn how God calls us to live in righteousness, the more flesh you need to kill. The second thing, all right, three ways to maintain sexual morality. The second is don't act like unbelievers. That's a simple one. Do you want to know the difference between believers and unbelievers? 
Okay, well, find people who are good examples and worthy of imitation. This goes back to what we've looked at in previous weeks. Don't look to the unbelievers. The unbelievers don't know how to control their flesh. They follow after their own lusts. You know, I've said it, I can't remember how many times on this podcast, but go look at Ephesians chapter 2. Just look at what our lives were described like before Jesus Christ. We followed after the power of the prince of the air. We followed after the lusts of our own flesh. We didn't know what righteousness looked like. We didn't know what God called us to in obedience. That's the world of the unbelievers. All right, the unbelievers, those who do not know Jesus Christ, those that do not know the truth of Scripture, they create their own moral truth when it comes to things of sexuality. Our culture is rampant with sexuality. Are we really any different than what the church in Thessalonica was dealing with? Maybe, just maybe, we are worse. This is the thing that we're dealing with, is that the culture is all about the things that are sexual. Everything is being redefined based on sexual things. All right, there's redefining of truth in gender. There's redefining of marriage. There's redefining of, you know, complete identity. A believer knows their identity. A believer's identity is in Jesus Christ. Like Paul said in Romans, put on Christ. Your identity is in Jesus. Your identity is not in the sin that you had previous to your transformation by the gospel. Therefore, you should not have your identity in sexual things. You should be abstaining from sexual immorality. Your marriage bed should be undefiled. The reality is that in some places there is this line where it's hard to tell this now in the midst of the life of believers. I will never forget sitting in a church congregation that I was attending when the senior pastor announced before the entire church that the worship leader was unfaithful to his wife and was unfaithful with another church member's spouse. I watched and I felt the pain of many, many people fall into sort of a funk or a a shock or a, I can't believe that this is going on. I think the reality is that there's a lot more in the Christian world going on in the secrets of own homes that Uh, the challenge then becomes, look, if you're living in that lifestyle, you've got to get out of it. You need to live a life that is much different than that of an unbeliever. Okay, now we don't want to run out of time covering this whole whole thing on on sexual immorality. Okay, here's the third one. Uh, You should not take advantage of other believers. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter... Uh, 4, 
it says, um, uh, each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because of the Lord is the avenger. So he's saying here that even don't take advantage of people when it comes to sexual immorality. This is to not rob people, not to defraud people, uh, to exploit with greedy gain your brother, your fellow Christian in things that are sexual. All right, now here's why, okay? This is the motivation. All right, three things that motivate us to not, uh, to abstain from sexual immorality, okay? So we'll, we'll walk through these quick because we don't, you're probably thinking, when are we getting to the rapture stuff? All right, so let's, let's move through. Three things that motivate us to be obedient when it comes to abstaining from sexual immorality. One, God is the avenger, all right? So if this doesn't motivate you to, to realize that you need to abstain from sexual immorality, that God will avenge those who do not abstain from these things, who do not live a life that is pleasing to God. This is all about judgment, all right? So here's the thing. This was one of the red flags. How can God be so how can God, a loving God, a gracious God, the God of the New Testament, be a judge? How can he destroy people? Well, God can destroy people because he's a just God, and we deserve to be judged if we're not obedient to him. All right, Romans 12, verse 19, uh, tells us, it says, uh, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. Here's another example of God as the avenger. All right, Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse 5. They have acted corruptly toward him, uh, they are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked uh, generation. Um, he says in verse 4, it says, A God of faithfulness, and he's without injustice. He's righteous, he, and he's upright. Uh, he will avenge those who do not uh, live a life according to the truth of God's word. So understand that that is a vital thing to realize. Uh, judgment comes for those who do not live the life of obedience to him. All right, the, the second is that uh, God's purpose for us, his will for us, is to be sanctified by the truth of God's word. His desire is for us to spend eternity with him. So therefore, uh, we need to understand that it's our purpose then to live this life that pleases God. The third and final one is that when we decide that we want to live a life of impurity, that we want to live a life that pleases our own flesh, our own lusts, our own desires, as we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that ultimately we reject God. And so verse 8 
says, see, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You see, if it's God's purpose for you to abstain from sexual immorality, if it's God's purpose for you to be pure, if it's God's person for you to live a moral life, if it's God's purpose for you to walk in holiness, and you decide not to do that, you don't reject man, you reject God. Therefore, you reject the Holy Spirit who is living inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit and the Helper who shows us the areas in our life that we need to be called to a greater alertness for the purpose of sanctification. Uh, there's a lot that's covered there in, in those spots, but I want to leave you with this, uh, just on this purpose and the points of application. One, uh, maybe you're out there and you're listening and you're dealing with things that are uh, sexually immoral. Find somebody. Talk to them. Be accountable for it. Secondly, uh, look for a book that is in our website called The Truth About Sex. Uh, if you have teenagers and if you have uh, young adults or for yourself, look at that book. And, and study through it and have a greater understanding of God's purpose for sex. All right, the world exploits this. We're called to live a life in, mor in moral, you know, not immorality. We're called to live a sanctified life and walk in holiness. All right, here's the second one that we, the second walk. We need to walk in love. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we, we brethren, challenge you to excel still more. Uh, the call for us as believers is to live in love. We're to be people who uh, love others. That doesn't mean that we love sin. We are to love others. We are to come alongside. We are to encourage and exhort. Uh, if you want a perfect example of what it's like to show love for the brethren, well, just keep going back and reading 1 Thessalonians and look and make a list for every time you see love in action. We're called to love. We're called to love the brethren. Now, the interesting part about this is in verse 11, he says that we're called to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life and attend your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. The most interesting thing about these verses is I was studying through them and looking at them. Uh, what, was, what was great is it's like verse 11 sort of contradicts itself and yet it doesn't. All right, so verse 11 tells us that uh, we are to make it our ambition. Uh, the idea behind ambition is to be zealous for it, like fired up, pumped up, you know, can't stop, gotta move forward with it, excitement and joy to lead a quiet life. It's like be exuberant and loud and zealous and pumped 
to say nothing. <laughs> um, what, what's really great about this is that in the application, all right, I think this has a lot to do with where Christians try to get involved in everybody else's business. All right, so uh, love of the brethren is to trump all of that other stuff where we like to get nitpicky and, and get involved in, in people's lives way beyond uh, what we should and become judgmental of the things that are happening in the life of a believer and, and stirring things up and getting involved in things that we shouldn't be getting involved in. And yet, here we are seeing that happen all of the time. One scholar uh, put it like this. He says, it refers to the one who does not present social problems or generate conflict among people. But they are a people who are at rest in the midst of difficulty. Uh, Paul addresses people who don't mind their own business in 2 Thessalonians, which you could join us for in uh, future studies. I think my plan is to study through 2 Thessalonians in September. All right, so uh, you'll see here, okay, now watch this. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to tend to your own business, and to work with your hands just as we command you. So uh, the idea is do your work, lead your life, don't get involved in other people's business and create conflict. And then verse 12 says, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. So there's a couple of things to look at here, and I would challenge you, because of our time and where we're at in this podcast and the next section that we need to get to, um, is that we need to understand, um, first and foremost, that I want to give you th these three things that we've covered so far in walking. First, we need to walk in holiness. Second, we need to walk in love. The third one here that we're talking about now is walk in honesty. Walk in an honor um, where you take care of your own needs, that you're able to provide for yourself. If you want examples of this, you need to walk through the book of Acts and look at how Paul, when he went to locations, he worked with his own hands to take care of his own, own needs to not be a trouble to anybody else. It's a phenomenal example that we can all live by. We work, we take care of our needs, we do an honest day's work, we don't get involved in any other people's business, and in when we do this, we become an example for the outsiders. I mean, this is, this is phenomenal that, you know, just like when Paul went to these people and he was living his life, he was working in Thessalonica, he was proclaiming the gospel in Thessalonica. The people saw Paul, became imitators of Paul, and therefore imitated the Lord. So the impact that Paul had on these people who were non-believers at the time, these people can have the same impact on non-believers if they live a life that's sexually pure, if they walk in holiness, if they walk in love, if they walk in honesty, they will make an impact. 
We're already seeing them making an impact, but Paul says, excel still more. Uh, the final uh, walk is that we would be people that would walk in the hope of Christ's return. And so uh, verses 13 to 18, he says, We do not want you to be uh, unaware or uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a trumpet shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay, so now, uh, how many of you listening to this podcast, like, just move to the edge of your seat? You're like, okay, here it comes. We're going to talk now about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Where does he sit on the rapture? What's precepts view on the rapture? Do they believe that the rapture is going to come before any tribulation? Do they think that the rapture is going to come mid-tribulation? Or will the tribulation, we all experience it, and, and then Jesus will return and gather us all up into heaven and we'll be with him forever and ever. But man, when is it? What's the timing? I need it. I need to know the date. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to happen. Because this is the thing. Forever, all right? For the longest time, I don't even, I can't even put a date on it. Since, the, since these things were probably penned onto parchment, people have been trying to figure out when Christ will return. They've been trying to date it. They've been trying to put math equations to it. They've been putting verses together to, to come to some sort of conclusion. Uh, some of the worst, all right, some of the worst conversations I've had have started with, so what do you believe about the end times? Uh, you need to go back to chapter one or to the overview of the podcast to see what I think about the end times. What I believe about the end times comes from verse 18. And that's why I want to work backwards, okay? Because I want to start at verse 18 and tell you that uh, this podcast will not go on for another 40 minutes to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the gathering of believers, I wanted to spend more time on abstaining from sexual immorality because that's 
more of the issues that our culture deals with this day and age than it does about worrying about the actual physical day and time of Christ's return. And so in verse 18, uh, he says, comfort one another with these words. In the margin of my Bible, right here, is where I have written eschatology is for encouragement and debate. Uh, One scholar uh, put it like this, the second coming should be a motivator for spiritual growth and evangelism. Not debate. Uh, I had determined, and I think maybe for the next podcast, I wanted to walk through everywhere in the scriptures where we're called to be alert or as in the ESV says, be awake. And then I wanted to line up those be alert, and it still might happen, folks, bear with. Uh, Line up the be alerts with the verses that talk about the rapture and the second coming. Don't you wonder by just walking through that exercise, which side of the chart would have more verses? Would the side of the chart about being alert and being ready and being prepared and being hopeful and watching for and looking for and hastening, all of these different words that call us to be alert and ready for the return of Jesus Christ, Uh, the day comes like a thief in the night. If you knew the night the thief was coming, would you not be ready? Uh, I want to, I think I'm going to do it this week. Maybe maybe you should do it with me. Let's just walk through the scriptures. Use blueletterbible.org and type in the word alert in the top and type in the day of the Lord or second coming and, you know, try to get, a list and see which side of the list is bigger. Just off the top of my head, okay, I can think that it's most likely the side of the chart that's going to be the bigger is our call to being alert and awake. There are a number of verses that speak to the rapture. And so this is what I am going to state right here, okay? You ready for this? This is going to blow your mind. This is going to knock you off your chair. One, there is going to be a rapture of the believers. There is going to be a gathering of believers to Jesus Christ. Well, why do you say that? Well, the Bible says that. The Bible tells us that there is going to be a gathering of the believers. Uh, John chapter 14 references uh, a coming together of the believers. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. And you know that the way uh, where I am going. Okay, so Jesus in the Gospel of John tells us he's leaving, he ascended, he's coming back, and the purpose is to get his people 
and bring them back to their home. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, which we've looked at previously in the first few chapters, uh, referring to what is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 51 to 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery, that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory and where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. And so there is this sense, okay, this teaching that comes from the scriptures that we will be changed, that the perishable will become imperishable, that Jesus will return. Uh, Revelation says, behold, I am coming soon. Uh, there will be a day. Next week, we'll begin to look at the day of the Lord that's coming up in the beginning of chapter 5. There will be a day when Jesus comes and he reclaims his creation, where he comes and he gathers all of the believers together, that he pulls them together, that they are gathered and that they will all be in heaven together. I mean, if that doesn't fire you up and give you hope to walk in honor and glory to Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. This is the promise and the reward that we who believe receive eternal life, that there will be a time where you know, some will pass away. Now, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's the problem. Here's what Paul's addressing. Are you ready? Pay close attention for a minute because it's not about when the rapture will happen. But the people in the church, as scholars have pointed out, they believe that the people in the church were facing such a great persecution. These were people who that were living in a great hope and watching for and waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ who rescues them from the wrath to come, chapter 1. That their eyes were on the prize, that they were pushing the gospel forward with every every ounce of energy that they had. They were making impacts all around them, but the persecution for them furthering the gospel was so intense that some people, as they were dying for the gospel, that some people believed that they missed the rapture and they were experiencing the persecution and the wrath of God because they were experiencing the day of the Lord. And so this is wrapping this into context and understanding. Could you imagine? I mean, we joke about it. Did we miss the rapture? But this is what's happened is they are under such an immense persecution that they felt like they could not get out of 
that they thought that this was, that they were facing the judgment of God. And so what he says is, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I don't want you to be unaware when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That some have died. Whether they died of old age or they died as martyrs suffering for the gospel, they were believers who died. And what Paul says is, he says, so that you wouldn't grieve and that you wouldn't have any hope. Oh no, we missed it. Maybe we weren't living a life that brought honor and glory to God and we missed the rapture and we don't get to spend eternity in heaven. That we are going to be judged. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For we say to the word, by the word of the Lord that we are alive and we remain until the coming of the Lord. We'll not precede those who have fallen asleep. All right, so uh, you can walk through a number of scriptures. You can study the book of Revelation. Take an in-depth study with precept through Revelation. And you will see that when Jesus returns to earth, he returns with an army. Uh, some believe the army that they returned with are the martyrs of those who had died before his return, and they're coming back to him. They're coming back with him. But this is the thing. I don't want to get into all of the nitty-gritty details of this because Paul is, yes, explaining to them about what's happening at the second coming of Jesus Christ, but he's explaining it to them so that they would be a body of believers that would continue to walk in hope. That in the midst of the suffering and persecution that they were facing, that they would continue to set their mind on the things above. That they would be people that would be focused on the return of Jesus Christ. He tells us in verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then those who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we shall always be with the Lord. Um, this is the thing, okay? Don't grieve as others do. You haven't missed the rapture. The rapture hasn't come Jesus hasn't finished his work. He has not returned yet. He's still coming to return. So keep your eyes focused on the prize. Live a life that brings glory and honor to him. Keep pursuing the furthering of the gospel. Keep your eyes focused on the heavens, watching for the return of Jesus Christ. Be a people of hope. Be encouraged. Walk, walk, walk according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Walk in a way that honors him. Walk in a way that you are honest in your living. Walk in love. Walk in hope. Be a people that continue to be sanctified by the truth of God's word. Be waiting, watching, and alert and ready for the return of Jesus Christ. This is the encouragement. Eschatology, my friends, is for encouragement, not debate. The purpose of understanding these verses is to be ready, 
to be alert, to be watchful, to be mindful of the way that we are living. It's an opportunity for us to pursue Christ all out, to get rid of the garbage in our lives, to run the race well, focusing on him. Because he says, after the dead in Christ are raised, which indicates that's going to happen first. The word then in verse 17 is a time reference that after things, this will happen. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Uh, that, that word um, caught up is to, it's, it's to snatch by force, to go down and, and get their people. And the, the way that I could picture this in, in just my thought is to go down and rip them from a corrupt creation, to pull them out of something that's headed for destruction before it's totally obliterated. You probably thought I was going to say before the tribulation starts. No, it doesn't matter. We know that the world's going to be destroyed. We know that there's going to be a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth. We just don't know when that rapture is going to happen. So why debate about it? Why get in arguments of whether it's going to happen before any tribulation? Or whether it's going to happen, whether we're going to see some of the seals and some of the things open, trumpets blare in, in Revelation before we are taken away. We could be people that are hopeful that we will not face the tribulation, that we will not face the difficulties. The reality is we don't know. The Father knows and if we trust in the Father, what are we worried about? Shouldn't our focus be on being alert and ready? Being prepared to meet Jesus? I always wrap back to the book of Amos. And I think about the prophet and the messages that he brought O oh, you cows of Bashan, speaking to Israel about their behavior. Judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. Amos chapter 4. Are you prepared to meet your God? If you're prepared to meet your God, what are you worried about? The whole purpose of chapter 4 is all about sanctification. It's all a part of the purpose of setting aside for holiness. Nowhere does Paul encourage us to debate about the timing of the rapture. He does challenge us to be ready. Um, twice in chapter 4, he says, excel still more. Where? Where does he say it? 
All right, so let, let's quickly look at this before we, we wrap up completely and, and uh, we get ready for next, next week's episode. Okay, so in chapter 4, verse 1, you ought to walk and please God like you're already doing, but excel still more at it. The will of God is your sanctification. Uh, he tells us down in verse 10 that uh, our concerning our love and how we love others, we need to excel still more at it. Uh, refine your walk. Keep on it, but keep growing. You're doing a great job loving your brethren, but you can do more. See, the whole purpose is sanctification. The whole purpose is being ready for the return of Jesus Christ. But here we are as people battling it out and arguing over when. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is are you ready? If Jesus were to return tomorrow, would you be ready? Are you prepared to meet your God? Father, we do thank you for all that you have shown us in chapter 4. Father, there is so much to unpack. So much so that it can't all be done in a podcast over an hour. That's why you call us to study. That's why you call us to grow in the knowledge of the word. Father, may we be people who would uh, take the time this week to go back through the scriptures and look even in deeper. Father, I challenge each and every listener here to, to, to go back and look at the scriptures and see what is mentioned more. Is it your return? Or is it about being ready for your return? Father, don't allow us to be getting in debates over these things and controversies, but truly understand that your second coming is to motivate us to grow spiritually and get out and evangelize. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.